from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is Chip Lutz, your host. And today, I'm going to talk to a legend, a living legend. I'm going to talk to Dr. Joyce Saltman who is a professor, you know, up somewhere and you know, next to Yale, and she's going to explain all that. She was trying to tell me, there's so many different things she was saying about it. I was just like trying to write it all down. I couldn't get it down. So welcome, Joyce, to the podcast. It is my honor to be able to talk to you today. Thank you, Chip. And uh, just for the record, I am world famous in Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm world famous in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah, this well, is actually, good. Yeah, this we have good. on the 12 acres that I live on. That's where, that's right. where well, I'm I'm famous. also world famous in the south part of Florida. Okay. Most of my fans are 20 years from death. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly very up people, and they're enjoying their last 20 years. Their last 20 years. Yes. So, now you're still an active, uh, you you know, you told me you're retired, but you're still an active professor. So, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, what do you, you know, what do you profess? I am actually a special ed professor. I teach teachers who work with kids who have sometimes learning disabilities, severe emotional and behavior disorders, mm-hmm. and a whole collection of other possible problems which make these kids seem special as opposed to just the normal neurotic kids that we have. First of all, yeah, there are a lot of those. How long, you been, how long have you been uh, in education like that? I have been teaching special ed since 1965. Wow. And I've been teaching at my university since 1975. And I retired, actually, I think around six years ago, but they still let me teach. I'm allowed to teach up to four courses a year. So I usually run a summer institute on, quote, health, healing, education, laughter, and play. Wow. And anybody is welcome to come and sign up. It's a free credit graduate course at Southern Connecticut, always the first week in August, which for the last two summers is starting the last week in July, Mm -hmm. because that's when the first week in August starts. And I also usually teach a course in the fall. So is that a the help course? Is that a course that I assume you developed yourself? Yes, of course. Because it's one of those things that I, I remember when I was going to grad school, we had nothing like that. I think the closest, the closest thing we had to that, because I got my master's in education, was maybe a course called Learning How to Learn, where we, we looked at alternative learning methods. But uh, that was about it. Well, I have specialists from all over the country to present at this institute. Really? This will be our 29th summer, and it is the most awesome week. I look forward to it every week, and I know these people. Right. And now I'm the one who brings them there every year, but mm-hmm. it's really awesome. Like a reunion of uh, reunion of friends. It, awesome. Yeah, it has become that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Also, once the people sign up for the course, they're allowed to come back every summer if they want students. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, I have students who come every year either to hear their, their favorite presenters or to hear if there are new presenters or just for a refresher course. Mm-hmm. It's really great. I mean, the price is right if it's free. Now, you're a, a Lifetime Achievement Award winner with AATH. How did you get involved in you know the whole humor gig? I mean, how, I'm always curious how people, what their path is to the humor world. How did that work for you? Well, I mean, truthfully, I was born the day before my mom's 40th birthday in an mm-hmm. age when people didn't do that. Uh-huh. I'm going to be 75 this July. Mm-hmm. And my sister was already 11 and a half, and my brother was 16 and a half. Wow. So pretty much I could get away with anything. 
So they thought I was cute, and they encouraged <laughs> laughter so and joking and yeah. all of those good things. So mm-hmm. that was the beginning. Mm-hmm. Also, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York has four million people. I was never beautiful. I was never brilliant. I was bright and cute enough, but you need to have something outstanding about you if you're going to be in communities like that. Right. And I found that I, I was funny, and I knew a lot of dirty jokes, so that helped a lot. <laughs> Not bad words, <laughs> just, you know, like... Little seedy jokes. Little seedy, right. right. That's awesome. Then, That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I was doing stand-up comedy in between husbands back oh, back in 80-something. Uh-huh. Well, 79, I guess, when I got divorced. Mm-hmm. And I was doing in a local restaurant with two guy friends, mm-hmm. and we just had a good time. And my whole comedy routine was, truthfully, everything that was happening in my life uh-huh. as a single woman. I made hysterical comments about the guys I was dating. Right. You know, like one guy was very young, so we couldn't have sex, but we could hold hands. You know, I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. And my students used to, my students are, you know, graduate students. They would come every week. So it was always a fresh new show. Uh-huh. Well, it then turns out that because I was a therapist and already a college professor, I, the local library was running a series on healing. Mm-hmm. And they had somebody coming about Tai Chi and so on and massage therapy. And they called me up and asked me, since I know about comedy, and I obviously know about therapy, would I be willing to come and speak about the therapeutic benefits of laughter? Uh-huh. And I said, sure. So my husband, I had just gotten married the end of May to this wonderful man, uh-huh. and he was a school principal and a you know, somewhat conservative person. And I said, honey, I'm giving a talk at the Cheshire Library. He said, on what? I said, on the therapeutic benefits of laughter. Uh-huh. And he said, oh, great. He said, what do you know about that? I said, nothing, but I know it's true, uh-huh. and I know how to read. And that first talk was covered by the three biggest newspapers in Connecticut. Really? And the next day, I started getting phone calls, like as though I were the world's expert in the therapeutic value of laughter. Right. And I started, I mean, at this point, this is, that was 1983. Right. Okay, so this is 35 years later. Uh I am still doing about 100 talks a year on different topics, Mm -hmm. all related in some way to humor. Mm -hmm. And... But all interjecting a lot of humor in them, and all the checks are made out to one of my charities. So I have been willing and able so far to give over a million dollars to my charity from speaking engagements. Because you could be sure on a college professor salary, you don't have right. <laughs> enough money, yeah, enough to live on, but you don't have enough to mm-hmm. give this large kind of contributing. So this has been all around a blessing for me, really. How interesting. Because back in, I mean, when you're starting that, and you're you you know comedy, and you know your therapy, and you're doing the research, there wasn't a whole lot around uh, back there as far as like now. Because I remember back in 2000 when I did you know uh, do my graduate work, I couldn't find uh, much. You know, just around you know the year 2000, there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, there's a lot, there's a whole lot more uh, body of work that people can draw from now. But I was imagining like, what were you? I mean, right. what were you? What were you looking? In 1983. There were two articles in medical journals dealing with the mind-body connection. Uh-huh. This really was a non-topic. Right. And at the time, my nephew David was at Duke Medical School, which you know is a great medical school. <coughs> and every time he'd come over on vacation, I'd say, David, what are they teaching you about the mind-body connection? You know, what are they teaching you about attitude and healing? And every year he'd say, Aunt Jay, they're so busy teaching us how to recognize the symptoms and how to treat the illness. They don't have time for these other issues. Wow. I mean, talk about depressing. They don't teach doctors 
about the importance of attitude. But fortunately, two years later, I get a note from my nephew, which says, Dear Aunt Gay, here are two articles on our favorite topic. And they were on from medical journals. One was from the Archives of, of Surgery, and mm -hmm. one was, because he's a surgeon, mm -hmm. and the other one was um, from JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, mm -hmm. just on this topic. And there, people started recognizing how do you leave the brain out? How do you right. leave how people feel and think out of the healing process? That was insane. So we are now, you know, on the road to full yeah. recognition. And then there's a whole lot more now, but it's just, it's, I was just thinking when you were talking about it, and you, you start getting calls the next day and that, you know, there's not a whole lot out there, but you're just kind of like just putting stuff together in, in a way that, uh, you know, people, I mean, I appreciate it. I think you're hilarious. Uh, but <laughs> thank you dear well which is you know a big part and you know is that i'm a firm believer people are laughing they're listening it's right. one of those things where you know it's how you package information so i know you package it really well and what have you seen as changes over that you know the 35 years well i mean i do think the recognition you know starting certainly with norman cousins anatomy of illness and then deepak Chopra. i mean everybody all the really good writers and doctors and i live in the same community as um Dr. Bernie Siegel, mm -hmm. who was a surgeon in New Haven. And when he started all this mind-body connection stuff, he was almost laughed out of the medical community really? in New Haven. And he's a filial of Yale. Uh -huh. But they, it, it really was not recognized. And I think one of the wonderful things that's happened with AATH is I was always involved in, I was in fact on the board of the International Society for Human Studies, uh -huh. which are all scholars. Right. And these people get up and they read their papers. And I always want to say, if you have a paper and you're going to read it, give me the paper. I can read it. You let me do something that's, you know, fun, something exciting and interesting. Right. But it's a marvelous organization. And what happened with AATH, to my mind, is when I first started coming, we had a lot of people in costumes and silly things and doing a lot of silly things. And I that's not my main area of enjoyment. Right. And what ultimately happened was certainly with um, Mary Kay starting the Tumor Academy, mm -hmm. what happened in AATH is it started integrating the research that was the mainstay of the International Society for Human Studies, which was tedious, mm -hmm. and brought it into this realm where people could be presenters and social workers and therapists and doctors and all of the fields that we cover and made them more credible because it's based on some research that says there's a reason for this. It's not just not that there's anything wrong with doing things just for fun. Oh uh, no, 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 no! I, but I it's not agree. only yeah. that. Yeah. So I just this is the greatest organization that ever was in existence, and one of the reasons is the conference itself is always uplifting, and the people who are involved who believe in using humor. It's not enough to know about it. It's not enough to read about it. We need to be able to use it. We, you know. There's a concept, I happen to be Jewish, and there's a concept in our religion that is called tikkun olam, which is repairing the world. Mm -hmm. And the belief system is that we human beings were created by God in order to repair the world, to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, that gave me not only permission, but a mandate to help people lighten up. That is, to me, the best way to repair the world is to have more people feeling good and connecting with each other and loving each other and you know hugging and 
nice. all the nice things. All right. Well, that's I mean, that's a good point. I never I didn't know about that, but I like that mandate and I like the way that it sounds. So when you go out and because you still you're an active speaker, you know. Yes. What, so what are the things you share with people to help them repair the world? Well, I mean, to start with, I mean, I, I want to just back up one second. Okay. I got my doctorate at Columbia, mm -hmm. and I had not an easy time convincing my person, who is the most left-brained person you'd ever want to meet in your life, he had a law degree and also a PhD mm -hmm. in very, you know, erudite areas, and I proposed that my dissertation be on humor in adult learning. Mm -hmm. And he said, why don't you do this, 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 and this, it'll be easier, there's a lot of research about it. I said, because I won't finish that. Mm -hmm. I will not finish doing something that requires me to research stuff that is of no interest to me. This I was interested in. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line, we know that you're more connected to people when you're laughing together. We know that you retain things better when you're laughing together. We know that it breaks down barriers between people. If we would walk around in this country and just laugh with people, look at people and laugh with them, we would not be involved in the kind of grief that we are involved in right now as a country. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, I, I agree with you on that, that it certainly doesn't cure everything, but it certainly helps cures a lot of things. And there are a lot of angry people. I mean, there's just a lot of angry people, period, in the world. Um, so what are some things, you know, people can do that? I mean, when, like I said, when you go out and speak, I mean, give them some, like, tip. To, you know, what, 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 are the, what are these, how do you do this? What's the practice? <laughs> Okay, well, number one, one of the things that I, I speak for a lot of senior citizens. Mm -hmm. And while I'm in my Florida stint, I'm there for six months and I go to a lot of senior developments. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, I, I'm going to tell you, we have like three minutes. We've got oh. lots of time. Oh, okay. We, one of my all-time favorite stories is, this is all true. I don't have to make up any of this. If I tell a joke, you'll know it's a joke. This is not a joke. <laughs> I always get a phone call the night before I am going to address either a synagogue or a church group. And the phone call is always from the chairperson. It goes like this. George, everybody's really looking forward to hearing you. You know, we need a lot of laughter. There's a lot of depressing things going on in the world. But I want to remind you there will be senior citizens in your audience. Now, that is code. It is code for don't mention sex. <laughs> and don't use any bad language because senior citizens do not like bad language and they don't know about sex. What? So this happens all the time, George. All the time. I cannot remember ever speaking for a church or a synagogue without getting that phone call the night before. Uh -huh. Well, I was speaking for a senior citizen group in Wethersfield, Connecticut. This was 30 years ago, and I'm never going to forget it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get the phone call. It's a group of seniors. A lot of them were bussed in from places somewhere on oxygen and it was a group of, you know, probably about 100 people, mm -hmm. elderly folks, right? And I say to the group, this is what always happens to me the night before I speak for different groups, and I did not get that phone call last night. How many of you would like to hear some dirty jokes? <laughs> that is what I said, <laughs> right? They got hysterical laughing. They were hysterical laughing. I didn't have to say anything else. They, I, I had these people so excited. Mm -hmm. I gave a talk about laughter and the therapeutic value of laughter, and I threw in every dirty joke that I could think of. I didn't know so many back then. This was 30 <laughs> years ago. You've been working on it since then. Whatever <laughs> I knew, and they weren't grotesque, and they right. weren't you know things that were you know taboo really. Right. But they had the most wonderful time. Yeah. And on the way out, everybody hugged me and wanted to touch me and thank me. 
one woman gave me the best compliment I have ever gotten in my whole life. Uh-huh. And I am going to be 75 in July. So my whole life has been three quarters of a century nearly already. Uh-huh. This woman put both her hands on my arm and she said to me, God must really have loved you to give you this gift. So and nice. it was the first time that I ever thought of being able to get people to laugh mm-hmm. as a gift. And this was something apparently God wanted me to be doing this, which is also why ultimately money became attached to it uh-huh. so that I could turn it all over. A hundred percent of my earnings mm-hmm. made from a speaking engagements, a hundred percent go to my different charities. Wow. So this has been such a mission it has been incredible so I think one thing that you can do and you know when I am talking to these seniors the first thing I say to them look I'm just telling you right now I'm going to tell you my favorite joke it's usually either at the very beginning or the very end depending on how well I know the group uh-huh. I am going to tell a joke that is going to offend some people if it offends you get over it <laughs> and that is my advice for most of us get over it for God's sake mm-hmm. you know the best thing that we can do is laugh together. Uh-huh. We are never more connected to people, as Woody Allen said. It's the most, f- most laughter, the most fun you can have, without sex, is laughing. Uh-huh. It's perfect, absolutely perfect. <laughs> get over it. I know a lot of people get offended really, really easily. Yeah, well, they. <laughs> it's time they got over it. <laughs> okay, let's hear the joke. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, it's it's our pot. We can do whatever we want. Let's hear the. I, I want to hear it. Everybody else wants to hear it too. Let's, it's, and if you don't like it, you know the joke. You <laughs> get, can, you over, get it. over it. You sure? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this gentleman is at a senior citizen luncheon in Florida, and he's sitting next to a very attractive woman. And he starts up a conversation, and one thing leads to another. And he says to her, "You know, my favorite hobby is fishing." She said, "Really?" He said, "I love to fish." He said, "Yeah." He said, "Would you like to go fishing tomorrow?" She said, "Sure, I'd be delighted." So he picks her up at seven in the morning. They head out to the river, they get in the boat, they start fishing. They come to the first fork in the river, mm-hmm. and he says to her, up or down? She strips off all her clothing and makes wild, passionate love to him right there in the boat. Uh-huh. Well, this is great. They get dressed, and they continue fishing. Now they come to a second fork in the river, and again, he says to her, up or down? And again, she strips off all her clothing, makes wild, passionate love to him right there in the boat. He is having the time of his life. Well, a couple hours later, it's time to go back to shore, and he says to her, you know, this is a great day. Would you like to go fishing again tomorrow? And she says, sure, I'd love to. He picks up at seven in the morning, they head out to the boat, they get onto the river, they get to the first fork in the river, and he says to her, up or down, she looks both ways, she says, up. So they take the upward fork and they continue fishing. Now they come to a second fork in the river, and again he says to her, up or down, she looks both ways, she says, down. So they take the downward fork and they continue fishing, and soon it's time to go back to shore, and he says to her, you know, he says, this was a nice day, but I have to admit to you, I'm a little disappointed today. Yesterday, every time we got to a fork in the river, and I said up or down, you stripped off all your clothing, you made wild, passionate love to me, right there in the boat, frankly, I have never had a more spectacular day in my whole entire life. Right. But today, nothing. What happened? She said, well, she said, to tell you the truth, yesterday I had forgotten my hearing aid. I thought my choices were fuck or drown. <laughs> Obviously, what's great about that joke is that it was so smooth because 
you've obviously told it a lot, so it's just well, it, was just, but it's it was just so sm- it was just so smooth. <laughs> that was great. It is a wonderful job. I told you know my husband had a stroke 13 months ago, so mm-hmm. things have been a little difficult, and mm-hmm. as you can well imagine. And I told my cl- I teach a class of 150 senior citizens every Tuesday afternoon mm-hmm. in Delray Beach, Florida, and I said to my class, I said I just want you to know. I no longer, as, and they all knew Saul, so I mean, the school, you know, they know him. And he used to teach classes there, and he's a real fun guy, and, yeah. and he's been with us. And I said, you know, I'm no longer having orgasms, so I want you to know the only time I have an orgasm now is when someone tells me a joke I've never heard before. <laughs> so my students have been telling me the most wonderful joke. <laughs> oh so that's been, that's been great, too. <laughs> and it brings them joy, too, you know, to come in and uh, bring, bring you joy. That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. No, so if after today, if people want to connect with you, how do they connect? How do they find you? Uh, they can call my home. I am early, and they can call. I am up by 5.30 every morning. So if they are early morning risers, that's great. I also never get to bed until midnight. So if they are later at night, that's fine, too. I don't need a lot of sleep. Um, my, should I give my phone number? Yeah, if you want to, yeah. Okay. My home phone number in Florida is 561-638-4244. Four, four. And if you do call, when you leave a message, leave me the earliest and the latest I can call you back. Florida time, which is, you know, East Coast time. Right. And when I get to Connecticut, that phone number is forwarded to my Connecticut home. So you'll always pretty much be able to reach me if I'm any place All right. All right. Well, thanks so much for spending time with me. You're, I, I absolutely adore you. So well, I love thank you. you. Thanks love so you, much. Chip. Thank you. <laughs> This is Laughbox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Laughbox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review Laughbox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.